0: Entering the Freedom
1: Hut. Have we heard the craziest theory about Trump yet? The bizarre war on hydroxychloroquine. Have grocery store workers had enough of the risk? Our media continues to spew communist Chinese propaganda. The threat of turnkey totalitarianism. And why isn't Biden getting me chewed? That's coming up.
0: Buck Sexton. Commission decoding the news. And disseminating information with actionable intelligence.
2: One <laughs> small Make no mistake. America, Great a great American. Again.
0: This is The Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD.
3: I can
2: speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime.
4: It is Buck Sexton.
2: Now.
3: Governor Cuomo... Today reported an interesting uh, data from New York, namely that the number of hospitalizations, the number of admissions to intensive care, and the number of requirements for intubations over the last three days have actually started to level off. So again, everybody who knows me knows I'm very conservative about making projections, but those are the kind of good signs that you look for. You never even begin to think about claiming victory prematurely, but that's the first thing you see when you start to see the turnaround. That doesn't mean we don't have a lot of work to do. That tells me, instead of saying, hmm, that's pretty good, it's we got there through mitigation. We cut off the stream of people who ultimately required hospitalization, required intubation, required all of the kinds of extreme methods. So we just got to realize that this is an indication, despite all the suffering and the, and, and the death that has occurred, that what we have been doing has been working. So the call that I say every time I get to this podium is just keep it up because this is going to get us out of it. This is our best and only great public health tool.
1: Welcome to the Buck Sexton show, everyone. There you had the repetition of the mantra from the health experts, from the epidemiologists, from the various uh, folks that we're now listening to and hearing from every day. Uh, We're being told that this is this is progress, and it's certainly good news insofar as there are fewer cases, insofar as there are fewer deaths now happening than had been happening uh, mere days before here in New York. And this is going to be viewed as the test case for what is possible and what is, in fact, necessary for other parts of the nation that go through a similar uh, outbreak. Probably won't be on the same scale, but it might be something where the health resources could become quickly overwhelmed, and there will be all kinds of concerns about how we address that going forward. Is this going to roll, this virus going to roll across the rest of the country in a much uh, more dangerous fashion than it currently has other than in places like New York and a few other, a handful of other major cities that have gotten hit very, very badly? This is now the big discussion. Okay, we keep going with this. I was watching the Cuomo press conference uh, here in New York. He's obviously governor of New York State. I'm watching the uh, Cuomo press conference, and he's saying that we've been doing this, at least in New York, for 37 days. And it was a reminder to me that while we're living our life so much by by all of these numbers, one number that we're going to have to keep in mind is how many days we've been at this. Uh, I think in New York we're going to see that number hit 90 of lockdown pretty uh, pretty definitively. I think that's where we're heading. They're not going to let up on this. The Fauci plan here, as it's being explained, and remember, everyone should be able to have a discussion about this. Everyone should be able to voice their opinion without being shouted down or have horrible things said to them because this is affecting everyone. And the suffering is widespread. It is a disease. It is also a depression. And it is causing, and that's an economic depression, it's also causing a lot of depression for people. And we're going to see a, a very uh, a miserable toll that this lockdown has had on millions and millions of people. Tucker Carlson was talking about this last night on his show, where he talked about the rise in... Uh, the rise in... The uh, domestic abuse situation at home, uh, child abuse at home, alcoholism, drug overdose, serious mental illness, all, all of these things that will be directly attributable to this lockdown that now is largely nationwide. I know there are a few states that are not quite as, as severe in their lockdown circumstance, but this is now what we're dealing with. I, I just feel like we're setting ourselves up here for quite an issue, quite a, quite a problem going forward. We keep getting told to flatten the curve. Okay, well, we were told to flatten the curve. And I'm going to share thoughts with you here. I'm I'm going to tell you this right now. Some of what I say to you in terms of analysis, obviously, our facts, we always have to get correct. And that's a promise that I make to you. But some of the the analysis I share, I I, I could be wrong. This is not this is not my area of expertise. And a vast majority of people you hear talking about this on the television or on the radio, it's not their area of expertise either. But we're smart people here, right? We, we think through things, we approach problems in a rational and reasonable fashion. And here's where, I've got, here's where I've got a big concern. We're told that we need to flatten the curve and that it's starting to work, but we can't let up. When can we let up? What does that look like? Because we had been told, at least in New York, and this is true, I believe, in some of the other cities where they've been very concerned about pretty large scale outbreaks, certainly on a per capita basis. We had been told this is about making sure the health care system doesn't get overwhelmed. It turns out in New York mitigation, there's no way that the health care system not being overwhelmed is a direct result of the most extreme mitigation, unless I'm misreading the timelines, which I suppose is possible. Uh, It seems that the models that they had that were taking mitigation into effect, they're trying to say, if we mitigate, this is what we're looking at. Those models have dramatically, in New York, overstated hospitalizations, ICU beds needed, and deaths. That's just a fact. That I know for sure, that the models have been wrong, and the models have been wrong for a few weeks. We have been told that this was a necessary uh, unnecessary pain that we have to go through here, economic pain, psychological, emotional, uh, the house arrest, mass house arrest, because we can't let our healthcare systems get overwhelmed, all right? But the healthcare system here in New York is stretched, but it has not yet gone well beyond capacity. So if we keep going down, if the curve continues to flatten, are we then going to be told that any mitigation measures that could bring that curve back up that we that we take out of uh, that we remove. Right. If we decide to loosen things up a bit, try to reopen some parts of the economy and lessen some of the more extreme measures. What I need to know or what I what I want to know right now is, OK, then why are, how are we supposed to be in a much better situation from now? And, and I'm sure that there are answers for this, but we need to think through this one. Because you also have Dr. Fauci and, and others who, remember, Fauci's his, his mission is maximum public, uh, public health safety, maximum reduction of the numbers of people infected. That's, that's his only mission. He knows nothing about the economy. He knows nothing about American civilization or protecting our way of life. Or that's, He's just an average Joe with all that stuff. I shouldn't say knows nothing about it, has no particular expertise in those matters. He knows about viruses. And we're being told that this is an absolutely necessary measure. Really, it's the only measure that will have any real effect. But we're also being told that this could go on for a very, very long time. Play clip seven.
2: So you wanted to get back to normal
5: uh, as, as soon as possible. Will we truly get back to normal in this country before there's an actual vaccine that's available to everybody? What, how, how do you how do you start lifting
3: the restrictions? Safely? Yeah. Well, well John, if, if back to normal means acting like there never was a coronavirus problem, I, I don't think that's going to happen until we do have a situation where you can completely protect the population. But when we say getting back to normal, we mean something. very very different from what we're going through right now, because right now we are in a very intense mitigation. When we get back to normal, we will go back gradually to the point where we can function as a society. But you're absolutely right. I mean, if you want to get to pre-corona virus, you know, that might not ever happen in the sense of the, the fact that the threat is there. But I believe with the therapies that will be coming online and with the fact that I feel confident that over a period of time, we will get a good vaccine, that we will Never have to get back to where we are right back now. So if that means getting back to normal, then we'll get back to normal.
1: Okay. That's, it. That's an answer that, that deals with some of the big questions that I have. I think that we all need to hear some of this. He's saying that we're buying time for the healthcare system. We're also buying time for better therapeutics. Uh, this this uh, vaccine talk that I keep hearing every day, yeah, vaccine would be amazing. It's a year away. It might be two years away. And not to be a downer, because we don't need any help with that these days, we still don't have a SARS vaccine, and people have been researching that for a long time. We still haven't figured out some of the necessary medical steps to beat other diseases that are already out there that are very similar to COVID 19. So, by the way, I spoke to a doctor yesterday uh, who in, insists on calling it. Uh, Wuhan virus or Chinese coronavirus. So that was interesting. He's uh, he's like, we're not we're not going to do this thing where the international medical community gets to obscure the background of this, uh, the background of this disease and how it was covered up in the beginning, because we are all paying the price for this now. Uh, but here, here's what we're being told. Lockdown will not be like it is right now. Indefinitely. Great. I'm glad to hear that we're not planning to do a series of. of well, we're not planning to do just a continuous lockdown like this a piece. Of the New York Times yesterday, another epidemiologist, you know, another, another doctor out there saying, well, we might have to do a series of lockdowns. We might have to do a whole series of lockdowns. And to that, I would just say the damage that, that will do to the economy and also the, the lack of compliance that we're going to start to get into as a country, as a nation, it's going to be a real issue. You're going to tell me that after this, when people are allowed to finally go out and live life a little bit and, and start to see friends and loved ones and start to feel a bit of normalcy, that come September, October, you're going to say, OK, everybody, lock yourself down for I mean, we're going into the flu season, so you've got to figure this would have to parallel that we're going to, go to lock down for six months, another six months. I just don't think people will do it. I think we all have our limits, right? And maybe our limits differ from place to place. It's it's stunning to me, and I'll talk more about this today on the show. How quickly people are willing to uh, to just give up whatever not, not not just give up their rights, but give up the right to even talk about their rights. They, they don't even want to they don't want to bring up what's going on. They just want to act like everything is is fine because the government's telling them to do something. I am. Uh, I am trying to look ahead to where all of this is going so that we're not surprised, as we've been surprised by the ferocity of this virus, that we're not facing something that we'll look back on and say, if only we had thought this through more, we'd be in a better place. If only we had anticipated, made better preparation, things would be looking a whole lot brighter right now in six months or nine months. And that means that this reopening of America that we're talking about tomorrow, the president has been focusing more on this. It's gotta happen. And that also means the preparation for the public, uh, the preparation of the public's psychology for what will be some degree of enhanced risk. I keep saying this, people don't wanna say this. That's just, it's just not true that there wouldn't be additional risk from the virus with a lessening of mitigation measures based on everything we know about the virus. And there's some people who are still arguing the case, and and I I don't have the data to back this up yet, but there are people who are arguing the case that the -the across-the-board lockdown, yes, of course, there have to be mitigation measures, but which ones are really worthwhile? Washing hands? Yes. Masks? Turns out, yes. Uh, Separating those who are immunocompromised or the elderly from the general population, making sure that they're safe? Yes. Schools? More questions about that. There is a lot of uh, a lot of indicators that sending young people who I know that you know everyone can show me data that oh, there is someone who's twelve who got this who's very very sick somewhere. Okay, well we're looking at hundreds of thousands of cases at a minimum in the U.S., probably millions when we do serology tests. Who knows? We'll find out. And you can so far, unless I am missing something, you can count the number of severe cases of COVID nineteen. for young people let's say teenagers you know 16 17 uh, on on one hand and there's no way that you only have a handful of people who are 16 or 17 given how infectious this is who have had the disease and so what you have here is perhaps the prevention of a herd immunity effect in the schools for people who are young now i know you'd say buck what about the staff and look none of this is none of this is perfect none of this is without risk i'm just thinking through this but you have and, and you, know, you could you could have said a lot of people in the schools who teach or older, maybe they should stay. You know, they should be in that extra protected category, be paid to stay at, at home. But and a lot of teachers are 25 or 30 or 35. And, you know, they should have been able, perhaps, perhaps to make the choice to continue teaching and have kids in the schools who uh, instead of going home and being quarantined and now possibly infecting cause remember the infection already spread. The infection had already spread widely. It was already community spread. We were hearing all about that before all the lockdowns went into effect. So, so there was a big chance for the virus to spread all over the place. And then we're told, all right, everyone go home and no more school. Well, the most effective mechanism of transmission of the disease, based on everything that I'm hearing and reading, is transmission at home, which makes sense. It's, not, it's duration and level of virus duration of exposure, confined space. So the, the the lockdown across the board measure is clearly open to some uh, rethinking going forward. And we'll see if we're able to do that. But then there's this really bizarre situation that's unfolding. And, and I'm I'm uh, I'm almost having trouble processing it because it feels like this is such a serious moment that that is so beyond the usual anti-Trump madness, the the Trump derangement syndrome that characterized three years of Trump's presidency that were incredible, peaceful, prosperous. Everything was going great. All the stuff that you were told to be worried about for the three years, the first three years of Trump's presidency were lies. I mean, all the things that we were supposed to be so worried. Oh, the the corruption and the Stormy Daniels payoff and Russia collusion, I would I was hoping I, I wouldn't say I would think I was hoping that there would be a moment here Where that level of anti Trump crazy might just fade away a little bit. But instead, we're seeing that the same people who Trump drove insane by beating Hillary and becoming president are now insane when it comes to Trump and dealing with this virus. And this brings me to the war on hydroxychloroquine, which I will have to explain.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
1: Does hydroxychloroquine work? That's the huge question. Right now, there are a lot of doctors who have gone on the record saying that they believe that it is helpful. And that leaves, as I've said to you, a lot of open territory. Now, there are some doctors perhaps we're not hearing from who think that it doesn't do anything. I would like to hear more from those doctors as to why they think that when there's some of their colleagues who do a lot of observation of patients and are working with this in the front, on, on the front lines are, are big believers in it being, remember, useful. Right, you know, ibuprofen can be useful for you as a fever reducer. It doesn't mean that ibuprofen is a is a cure for a, um, for the flu, right? It doesn't mean that just because something can be helpful, that's not the same thing as saying okay, well, we don't have to worry about it. But that's what we're trying to find out now. This seems like an entirely non-political question. Does a drug that is in widespread usage already and has been for decades does a drug work and could it help us in at least lessening the rates of severe illness and, and death that are coming along with COVID-19? This should be like finding out at, at what temperature does water boil, right? This should be a, a straight up scientific question, a scientific quest. And the policy implications of it are clear. and I'll get into those too. But this should be a yes or no. Instead, it turns into... People are opposing this quite obviously, quite visibly, because Trump is hoping that it works. That is completely insane. Thanks for listening to the
0: Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Here's the headline from the New York Times. Okay, this is this was yesterday. Uh, They're they're digging in as deep as they can. Trump's aggressive advocacy of malaria drug for treating coronavirus divides medical community. Aggressive advocacy. He's saying that he hopes that a drug that's already out there that doctors have used and say they think it is helping will turn out to be very helpful. I I thought we were all on the same page here for rooting for America and saving lives, right? That's I'm told that we're supposed to operate from that sense that we're all in you using good faith here. Why would anyone oppose? Why would any person say anything other than please, God, let's have hydroxychloroquine be a very effective treatment when we really get in uh, as an early enough intervention, use it appropriately? Why wouldn't anyone feel that way? No one, not a single person in the administration, including President Trump, has said this is a cure, or even that it works. Trump has been saying that he thinks there might be good things ahead. He's heard good things. He's not saying, but he then says, I'm not saying it works. I'm not saying it doesn't. We are hopeful. Hope from Trump, though, has to be spat back at his face from the left. That's the truth. They won't accept a hopeful Trump. They won't accept his efforts to try to prevent people from panicking. They'll say that that's all lies. He's lying. He's not trying to prevent panic by saying we'll be okay. How do you know we'll be okay? These people are insane. And I I have to say it's not surprising at all that they're taking this position because they were insane before we got to this very stressful and very difficult moment in our nation's history. So they didn't they didn't learn some lesson here. If anything, the left feels that this is now the culmination, all the warnings that they had given us about Trump, all the things that they had told us for years. Oh, he's he's reckless. He's stupid. He doesn't care. He's terrible at the job. All these things. They feel that a, a virus that has crushed countries all over the world, including the most you know, advanced, sophisticated, wealthy European nations, a virus that is ravaging the whole planet is is Trump. Uh, is showing that Trump is at fault, you know, that Trump is, is really the problem here. In fact, you have uh, Susan Rice, who straight up, remember, this is a former national security advisor. I've been telling this all along. Trump has blood on his hands. This is going to be the mantra. It used to be uh, Trump does Russia's bidding. You know, Trump cheated in the election. Trump does Russia's bidding. Now going into this fall, where they're hoping to give us confused Mr. Magoo Biden As the person to take over the country because he's going to do such a good job. We'll talk about the sexual assault allegation. Person on the record, woman named, worked for him on his Senate staff in the 90s. No difference at all from the Brett Kavanaugh allegations, except this woman's allegations actually are rooted in some credibility and fact. The Kavanaugh allegations, she couldn't even prove she ever met the guy. Ever. But we'll get there later on in the show. Here's what Susan Rice is saying about President Trump and and the blood, the blood on his hands. Let's just let's just hear it. Play 12. Rather than act promptly, when in early January
4: they learned from both the World Health Organization, which was notified at the end of December and from the Chinese government, that there was an unusual and dangerous outbreak underway in Wuhan area. Uh, rather than moving immediately from very early January to do the things that they that we know we have to do, get in place the testing capacity, uh, scale it up so that it's widely available. You know, surge the purchase and the distribution of personal protective equipment, ventilators, uh, masks, gloves, gowns. Uh, and get that to our hospital systems, build out our bed capacity, call back medical professionals, all these things that states and locals are now doing on the fly. These are the things that we know we needed to do and do at the outset. And so they didn't do that. They waited two months. It's not the one month that The New York Times had a headline, a wasted month. It was a wasted two months. And those two months have meant the difference between Many tens of thousands of Americans dying who,
1: who might otherwise not have died. Total rewriting of history in that nobody was advocating. I remember nobody was advocating for all these things two months ago. No one. Dr. Fauci in January was saying, don't worry about this. So how do you go from don't worry about this with your top public health expert to, yeah, we need to mass produce masks, gowns and ventilators on a scale that nobody had ever even thought possible, never mind necessary. How do you go from that? This is just Monday, Monday morning quarterbacking of the worst kind, which you knew would happen here. Yeah, do I, think, do I think the Trump administration could have moved faster on some of this? Absolutely. Do I also think that maybe the, the panic syndrome has taken over higher up in our government than I, I would like it to, and that we're, we're being told that our lives are determined by stats and facts And then we look at the stats and facts, because thank you, Internet, we can see what they said a week ago, what they said two weeks ago. And they keep being wrong. And if you ask any questions, you're a bad person who doesn't care about your grandparents dying. This is the way that the debate keeps it's cyclical now. It keeps going through this. Okay, well, what they said isn't true. Do we think that it's going to be true in in a few weeks or why do we keep we keep getting told that in the next couple of weeks it's going to be this And then two weeks goes by and it's not that it's always a lesser version of it. And they say, well, no, it's because of mitigation. And then we say, well, hold on a second. Your models claim that this was with mitigation, not without mitigation. And so, oh, no, but the mitigation has gone even better than the models. I mean, this is this is the problem with trying to use numbers to predict, you know, to predict the future, which is what's going on here. This is a very complex system now. Yeah. Can you tell if it's going up or going down? Sure. They know that cases are going to go up and deaths are going to go up. That all that all has been correct. They've been right on that. So on that fundamental point, fine, established, clear. But a lot of what we're doing is based upon the severity of this. And for those of you who are listening to the show right now, out in in, you know, Kansas, in Denver, in San Diego, in Austin, you all have different levels of cases. You all have different state and local ordinances that are in place in order to try to keep people safe. And uh, this this rela- uh, this unwillingness to rely on data in the specifics about place by place seems to me to be curious. I would like a better explanation for why. That is the case. But uh, but I I, got to bring it back. I I got a little bit uh, off uh, for a moment here because I want to go to the debate over uh, chloroquine. I mentioned to you this hydroxychloroquine, by the way, Uh, I mentioned to you this uh, New York Times story. But the part of it that has really gotten a lot of people very worked up. Was this if this is from The New York Times, okay. If hydroxychloroquine becomes an accepted treatment, several pharmaceutical companies stand to profit, including shareholders and senior executives with connections to the president. Mr. Trump himself has a small personal financial interest in Sanofi, the French drug maker that makes Plaquenil the brand name version of hydroxychloroquine. OK, folks, this then turns into I mean, the Mor- morning Joe is actually a, a show with with unbelievable it's a show of, uh, with people on it four people watching who all of them think that they're really really bright and they they say idiocy on the show and then they take in the idiocy and think it's brilliant at home what does that say about the viewers uh, the, the show is is a mess it's a it's a appalling stupidity on a on a daily basis. And the Morning Joe host, Mika Brzezinski, and now wife of the host, uh, you know, it's whatever, uh, Morning Joe host, Mika Brzezinski, suggested that Trump has a financial tie to hydroxychloroquine. She said a lot of people would say follow the money. There's got to be some sort of financial tie to someone somewhere that has the president pushing this repeatedly. Now, before we get in, there is a financial tie, And it's so laughably absurd that only a moron could think that it matters at all. And I mean that. But before we get into the financial tie, notice the assumption that is built into this. The assumption is Trump doesn't care enough about his fellow Americans and care enough about human life to merely want to just root for a drug that could end up preventing a lot of people from dying from organ failure because of this virus and ARDS and the cytokine storm and all these different processes that doctors don't even really understand all that well. You know, they 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 know what it is, but they don't know how to stop it. And they don't have a great they don't have a great toolkit for reining it in. But with all of all of this going on, they won't even give the president. This reminds me when I said on the Bill Maher show, well, before all this happened, I said, President Trump does not want a single American to die from this. Can you at least it is whatever you think of him ethically. And I think he's a much better person than, than liberals do. I think he cares about people. I think he, he does his best. And he's not a perfect guy. No one's a perfect guy. But no matter what you think of him ethically, politically, he doesn't want a single person to die from this. So his interests are aligned with the interests of the American people. And this. no matter what you think of his ethics, they wouldn't even concede that. They, say they just ignored that, you know. Bill started cursing, and that's what they do when they get into a real discussion over there. Someone just starts cursing and making stupid jokes because they don't have real arguments to make. and And it reminds me of this: they will not concede that President Trump would just root for a drug to be successful because he wants people to feel uh, healthy again, because he wants less death. Whew. Mika Brzezinski, I, you know, whatever they're paying her, it's not enough. It's not enough to just. Light your soul on fire in front of America every morning. It, it's just, there's no way she's that stupid that she really believes that. But it's very personal. You see, there are a lot of people for for whom the Trump derangement is a personal issue with Mika and Joe. They thought they were going to be uh, in the close to power seat here. They thought they would have a president that they had a, a very good personal relationship with. And when that was taken away because Trump had a, you know, they had a, a fallen out. Now they're just on an anti-Trump jihad all the time. OK, back to hydroxychloroquine um, and, and Sanofi, because you have other people, you know, blue checks aplenty. Ian Sams. Who, who is this guy? I got to find out. I don't even know. He's a blue check. So he's one of these verified. Oh, national press secretary for Kamala Harris. There we go. He he was one. they're all all over the place. I mean, I I can just line them up. You know, now one thing that lives like to do that's very annoying is when we all know they're saying something, they go, who's saying that? No one's saying that. And then you got to go and you pull together, you know, 10 different tweets and and videos of people on TV saying exactly what you've said. But they just this is now just a way to, to gaslight you. No one's saying that. And then their friends, their followers. Yeah, this person's lying. And then you go and you find all the proof because they're all they're all saying it. And then they just don't respond. This is one of the games. This is like, a, like the way that children debate, children argue. But l- the left is really the political party of crybaby children. Um, hydroxychloroquine is made uh, by a whole bunch of different companies. There is no patent right now on hydroxychloroquine. It is off patent, which means that places different companies can make and do make huge amounts of it as a, as a generic drug. So there is no huge finance. Anybody who's not a moron, which does not include our our elite media, by the way, there are some very, very stupid people in our elite media. Anybody would understand that the financial incentive for Trump to push this drug does not exist. Trump might as well be out there talking about, you know, how he, he really wants people to drink you know water out of the tap and then people say oh he's trying to make a fortune he owns you know stock in evian or so it's just it's so dumb that it defies belief there's not going to be some huge amount of money there cuz any pharmaceutical how do you pick the company that's going to make all this money off of it when they can all make generics and they will make generics because this is a a uh, emergency usage uh, emergency case usage but it's even it's even better because because the new york times reported on this the the small financial interest I-, I want to take you through exactly what the president of the united states what his financial interest in a hydroxychloroquine making drug company Remember, we've already talked about how they they they're assuming that he doesn't just want it to be better for people which is insane and they are skipping past the fact that this is not a a drug that's off patent has been for over a decade so it's cheap and it's going to continue to be cheap and then they just blithely glide past how big of a financial stake does he have oh i'll tell you
0: you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast
1: all right. Hat, hat tip, uh, Mike Cernovich, who pulled this together on, on Twitter, uh, and I, I saw the financial breakdown, and it's exactly what I would have expected. I, I tweeted out before even reading this, well, what are we talking about here? A few, a few thousand dollars of stock? No, it's not even that. Trump doesn't even own stock in the company, per se. He didn't buy equities that are tied to Sanofi, or that, that are part of Sanofi. No, he owns... to $15,000 of Dodge and Cox fund, according to his financial disclosures, dogs, Docs, not dogs. Sorry, that's Tallulah. Docs and Cox's fund has 2.9% of its money in Sanofi. So Trump owns 2.9% of somewhere between $1,000 and $15,000. Trump owns between $29 and $435 of stock. The New York Times is talking about his financial interest in this drug maker. These people are out of their G.D. minds. This is the biggest newspaper in the country. We're going through a pandemic. They think Trump is rooting for this drug to work so that he could make $50 maybe? He's a billionaire, you imbeciles. What are you doing? And Mika and others, they're all running around saying this. And they don't care how stupid they are. It just doesn't matter because they hate Trump and that's all they can think of. But this isn't even off brand for them. The Washington Post and others did all this analysis of people who were going in and buying. This is true. And they 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 tried to get this going with the emoluments clause. Right. This is back before the pandemic, when life was normal. If uh, they did an analysis of foreign diplomats who bought food and drinks at the Trump Hotel bar. And it was something like a couple of hundred thousand dollars over the course of the first two or three years that Trump was in office. And it was dozens, if not hundreds, you know, hundreds of different diplomats that they're talking about here doing this. And they said that, well, maybe this will influence his foreign policy. This is buying foreign, this is buying access. No, this is buying a cheeseburger. You utter lunatics. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with the left? Like, there really is a mass psychosis of anti-Trumpism, and they can't, they can't get a handle on even now. They really believe the president is rooting for hydroxychloroquine to work, not because it would perhaps save us from, you know, the collapse of America. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but things are getting pretty sketchy out there, folks. No, he's not rooting for it for that. He's not rooting for it to save a lot of lives. It's so he can make 50 bucks. That's how evil he is. Anyone who believes that is a moron who should be careful when they try to tie their shoes. Thanks
0: for listening to the but, Sex Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. There are lots
3: of anecdotes, really important anecdotes that might point the way forward, but there is not the kind of wealth of evidence that experts and and doctors need to see. And Dr. Anthony Fauci and others have made that very clear. Uh, But President Trump continues to promote this drug because he's hearing about it from his friends and his allies on Fox News. And tonight's Washington Post report is quite disturbing because it shows that uh, Fox is a real uh, pipeline for the president about medical advice Laura Ingram and two regulars on Ingram's show visited the White House last week to hype this drug. And in the meantime, Don, people like my wife who need this drug, my wife has rheumatoid arthritis, so she uses Plaquenil, which is a brand version of this drug, to keep her symptoms under control. People like my wife need this drug, and they're worried about shortages because there's all this hype on Fox News about the drug.
1: Okay, let's let's break this down a bit, shall we? First of all, it's Brian Stelters is oh, getting it from Fox News. I mean, CNN has been an abomination for years, and, and that's not changing now. The president is not getting his, getting his medical advice from Fox News. He has what are supposed to be world-class experts, nothing to do with their politics or anything else, advising him every day on this. He has access. The president wants to talk to anyone, the CDC, the NIH, he can just get them on the phone or he can just talk to the head of any of these organizations, whatever information he wants access to, he has. This is not this is not complicated. This this is a straightforward part of this. So why do we have to keep hearing that he's not listening to medical experts when either Laura Ingram or Tucker Carlson? I thought Tucker's show last night was great. Um, I, I think Tucker is showing how political commentary or, or rather cable news commentary can be both really engaging and really meaningful for policy. Uh, But all the different shows on Fox that have experts on doctors on to talk about their they're talking about their experience in using this drug. Why is that not relevant? Who's the real conspiracy theorist here? I've spoken to doctors here in New York who are treating covid patients and doctors who have told me that they already are using this drug. Andrew Cuomo, uh, Andrew Cuomo, the governor here, has approved doctors who think they should use it to use it. It is. A drug that is already cleared by the FDA and we don't have anything better right now. Some are saying that remdesivir, which is a Gilead pharmaceuticals drug, might be a little bit better for reduction of the virus in the very, very ill. But that's all anecdotal. That's just all, you know, you saw this. I saw that, you know, with the, with immunity. There are so many different components at play. You have genetics. Increasingly, they're going to be looking at this. Are there some genetic markers for people, particularly younger people And and this is not just this was in the Wall Street Journal. I'm I'm not just pulling this out of nowhere, but this has been well known for a while here. The uh, the Wall Street Journal had this piece on the genetic markers that they're going to be looking for to see. Why is it that some 35 year olds or some 45 year olds or Boris Johnson, for example, just uh, believe is in stable condition, but was sent the ICU? He's only 55, so he's not really at the high risk level. Why do some people get much worse versions of the disease than others? Is there a genetic component? And then that gives you more information for perhaps how you can better prepare people so that they're less likely to get the severe version of the disease. Remember, if, if we could get to a point where this was a nasty thing that happened to people, that if you got infected with this, you know, oh, it's going to stink. You know, you're going to be it'd be like it'd be like, uh, you know, a really bad cold. right? if we could get it to that point because of the treatments, it's game changer. Right. If we could make sure people don't have to go to the ICU. Yeah, this would still be a a bad thing and people would be in pain from it. And it would. But if we took out the mortality component and the severe damage to lungs, that's a game changer for us. So that's that's what we're trying to get to. And the only way and this is what a lot of these idiots in the media don't seem to understand. The only way you're going to have this information is if you actually use the drug. You have to actually give this to people. They're just not doing it in a controlled trial setting. Because who right now, and I can tell you this, who right now that's told, hey, your lung function is down to, you know, a a fraction, you know, 20 percent of what it normally would be. I I don't know what, you know, I don't know what the real numbers are here that are putting people in the ICU. But your lung function is way down and we're going to put you on a ventilator. We can start you on a drug that some people think might really be helpful, that is safe to take as safe as, as a lot of other pharmaceuticals out there that remember seltzer just said his wife takes it for rheumatoid arthritis people take it for lupus are, are they are they all having heart attacks are they all having these terrible symptoms from it that mean it to me make it not worthwhile no of course not although if they were if they were they'd pull it off the market do you think that a person who was told hey i'm uh, hey you're, you're about to go on on a ventilator you're really sick your lungs are in really bad shape we can give you this drug that 10 out of 10 doctors in this or even, you know, five. Let's just make it easy or not easy, but let's make it more interesting for the purposes of our discussion. Five out of 10 doctors in this ICU think this might really be the key. And if they're wrong, the side effects are minimal. What what reasonable what rational mind facing their own possible demise would say, nah, don't give me that. I want to just I want to just tough it out on my own. Let's see if my immune system can handle it on its own. It's already got me here in the ICU. But let me see if I can just, you know, I think the answer is nobody. I can tell you what I would. I mean, I, I asked the doctor this. I said, would, would, you, would you put, you know, one, one doc told me he's already put a lot of patients on it. Another doc that I know who's, who's a, an infectious disease specialist but is not currently actively daily seeing COVID patients. I'm talking to as many doctors as I can. Anyone who's in my life who's a really brilliant MD I'm reaching out to on this. Anyone that I know, anyone that I've come into contact with through media. Um, and I, I said, well, would you put, he said, I'm not only would he put people on this, he he would consider putting them on it earlier than even having to go to the hospital to see if there is some uh, not not prophylactic effect, but if the timeline really is critical here is and you get the drug into people's system sooner and it's less likely that the virus will be will be prevented from replicating in a way, you know, whatever, whatever the mechanism is, and and they're still figuring that out. But you won't get really, really sick is the idea. Instead of waiting until you're really, really sick. I know a doc who says that he'd give it to people before that. And we're being told that there there could be shortages for for other people out there. Um, we'll, well, no, we'll just make sure that anyone who needs the drug will get the drug. Why, you know, are, are we being told that some doctors can have masks but other doctors can't have masks? No, we're saying okay, we'll we'll stock up, we'll staff up, we'll make sure we get the equipment that people need. We'll make sure people get the drugs that they need. This is only going. There's only going to be a run on this drug. A real run on it if in a month we're still sitting here saying a lot of more and more doctors, more and more people say they're, you know, they made it through because of this. And that would be a magnificent place for us to be in as as a species for humanity, not just for this country. Instead, we have to hear the Trump is pushing for financial. These people are sick in the head. They really are. They think that Trump wants people to die or doesn't care or he only wants to make a couple of hundred bucks the guy's a billionaire i mean i wouldn't say this about you know hillary clinton and she's a grasping greedy maniac right but she's worth millions of dollars i don't think that she would want to do something for a hundred bucks you can't get we all know this hillary clinton you can't get her out of bed in the morning for less than a quarter of a million to give a speech somewhere she's not gonna not gonna be out there pushing for it's, it's just so dumb it's you, you almost feel dumb saying it out loud that someone else believes this. You're like, how, how could we have to even say this? So th- this uh, this war on chloroquine that's happening or hydroxychloroquine that's happening right now from the left and the partisanship behind it. I mean, people people are sniping at me on Twitter over this, too, because I've said I've talked to doctors and they're saying, oh, well, I've talked to doctors who say the exact opposite. OK, well, then they, they must feel that this is really putting people in danger. Don't they have an obligation to come forward and explain that? And, and if, if it's so dangerous and so bad, why don't we pull it from the shelf entirely? It's it's safe enough for people that have lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, but not safe enough for for individuals who are very, uh, very possibly going to be not just in the ICU, but could very, very uh, clearly die in, within a week or two. Not safe enough for them. Huh? This is this is like telling people you can't. Tr- Trump thinks that you should have a right to try different cancer treatments. So I'm a Democrat. I'm a leftist. So I want to oppose that right to try, because if Trump's for it, I must be against it. Sorry, people that are about to die from stage four cancer. You're not allowed to try that thing. What if it kills you if you try it? This is the this is the illogic. This is the insanity that we are up against. And this is only going to get worse as this drags on. It's going to get worse with what we're doing about the economy. It's going to get worse with how we're treating the disease and definitely on the lockdown Authoritarian measures that we're increasingly being I'm going to get into that, too. We're increasingly being told are just a necessary part of of life now. Uh, I I am I am saddened at how it's one thing to say, all right, I'm going to do this. But, you know, you're being put on notice, government, that this can't continue like this. This is a this is a short term measure. I'm not just going to say this is okay and it's okay indefinitely that you suspend the Bill of Rights, that you tell me where I can go and what I can do and, you know, whether I can live life at all. Because you say that I'm putting other people at risk. Really? What if what if you've already been infected? That's why we need serology tests. But there's another part of this. And and I I need to talk to you about serology tests because this is there are a few ways that this gets a whole lot better really fast. The therapeutic is the most obvious one. They keep talking about a vaccine, but a vaccine to me feels like holding the carrot way, way, way out there and telling us, oh, just behave, do everything we say for the next 18 months, and maybe there'll be this vaccine for you and then everything can be better. Therapeutics, at least, are more short term, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, azithromycin, these different therapeutics that you're hearing about right now. That's in the in the immediate term. But there's another game changer possibility out there. And I spoke to a doctor in some at some extent about it uh, yesterday, uh, spent about forty five minutes on the phone with an infectious disease doc who, uh, you know, is just a, a wealth of knowledge about all this. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about serology tests. I'll try to, you know, and, and people are saying, oh, well, can you get some of these doc-? The doctors who are active in the healthcare in the hospital system right now, they really can't. You know, it's not comfortable for them to go public and on the rec. You know, some of them can, but you've got to go through the the press office. And they don't want people talking to the media because, you know, they view it as, as a risk to the reputation of the hospital. That's why the PPE shortage, the personal protective equipment shortage, doctors don't want to go on record to talk about it. So there's some sensitivity around that. And, and obviously, as someone who's in the media, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure anyone who's bringing me, who's giving me necessary background or just giving me helpful information, I, I can't allow there to be any consequence against a first line medical provider because he's telling me what's really going on in the hospital, what's really going on here in the city uh, but there are, there are plenty of doctors who are coming forward who are saying very similar things right? so we know that there is a movement among doctors that believe it's worth checking out, it's worth investigating and seeing through whether hydroxychloroquine is the therapeutic that will help get us through this it's also worth pushing harder they keep pushing for tests to find out where the disease is that's important. I'm not saying it's not. Although testing, testing, testing has really turned into a it was so popular for a while because it was a criticism of Trump and the administration because they hadn't ramped up testing. So now that they have a lot more testing, you're hearing much less about that, in part because there's more testing, but also because it's not as useful a talking point against Trump. Serology tests, though, looking for antibodies. This is big. And eh, we'll talk about we'll talk about Biden and some other stuff, too. I, I promise you, we're not just going to stick around and, and go deeper and deeper into the pandemic rabbit hole of the news here today, because I know every day that's what dominates. We have got some thoughts for you on on serology tests.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
2: I was informed that Governor Cuomo has already uh, told you and announced he called me up a little while ago and he asked whether or not it would be possible to use the ship uh, with respect to fighting the virus. And we hadn't had that in mind at all, but we're going to let him do it. And we're also going to let New Jersey. Uh, Governor Murphy, we spoke with him a little while ago, and uh, New Jersey is going to use it also because New Jersey is a hot, a hot spot. So Governor Murphy and Governor Cuomo are going to be using the ship New York, New Jersey, and uh, it's a big ship, and it's now COVID. It's set for COVID, and we are going to, hopefully uh, that will be uh, very helpful to both states.
1: Hopefully it will. That is a, that is a shift that I think a lot of us have been expecting here. There aren't many people in hospitals except for COVID-19 right now. Very few car accidents, very few just accidents in general, very few stabbings and shootings and things of that nature here in New York. There's a lot less people out on the streets. So there's uh, there's just not there's just not a lot of non-COVID activity in the hospitals. So they're switching. I, I wanted to uh, they're switching the United States Naval uh, Ship Comfort, this hospital ship. That, as I've been telling you, I could, I could probably jog to it in about 10 or 15 minutes from where I am right now. OK, serology tests. There's a lot of complexity here. You talk about ELISA tests and, you know, assays and all this, you know, and I'm not a lab tech guy, I don't know. I mean, that's that's you can get into that with with uh, that's what we'll bring on a medical expert to talk about. But I can tell you this serology tests would be looking for antibodies in your system. Antibodies in your system would prove that you had been exposed and or infected. And now you're past it and you have uh, immunity to this disease. This was spreading like like wildfire in February, in March. And it's only recently that we've locked down and they say that's brought down the curve. That's that's been lessening the spread. OK, uh, it is completely feasible. I won't say probable, but it's feasible that there are a lot of people who were infected with this. And, and in fact, they, they tell us as they think that there are a lot of people infected and didn't know it. All right. Well, think about how that changes the dynamic here. Um, If we get serology tests out there and we find out that there are millions of Americans who have antibodies to this, you know, you could extrapolate it out, do a random sampling of the population. And uh, and then you then you look at what the data tells you. And let's say that there's there's a belief that millions of people were exposed to this and millions of them already have the antibodies. Well then that doesn't does doesn't that show us that one, there's already some herd immunity effect. If that were the case, this is all based on what could happen. I'm not saying this is happening. Some herd immunity effect in place whereby if you have millions of people who are immune to this, they can go back to work. And it would also raise questions about what really is bringing down the curve. Is it that the infection spread? And a lot of people were infected and and didn't know it and now have immunity and therefore aren't spreading it even further. Uh, These are just the questions that you have better data to answer. We are making determinations here based on incomplete and faulty data every day. And anyone who's telling you otherwise is not looking at the numbers. They, They don't know what they're talking about. But serology testing to show that there is a there is a much broader degree of infection from this than was previously thought. And therefore, people that are through it and fine they'd be able to go back to work. And not only that, you know, if I had a serology test, for example, I I could know that I could spend time uh, with members of my family who are higher risk and not have to worry about it. And I could take better care of them and not have to be concerned about being in close contact with them. Serology testing is key. This needs to happen soon. This needs to be an absolute priority because it'll also tell us a lot more about this disease, given how how highly infectious this is. You know, Boris Johnson's got it. Tom Hanks has got it, and people all over the world have gotten it. uh, And, you know, it's something that we've obviously been caught unaware uh, in a lot of ways, been caught unaware of how quickly this would this would spread if millions and millions and millions of people have it or, or rather had gotten it and didn't even know it were asymptomatic or had such low symptoms that they didn't know. Uh, That also changes substantially the mortality rate and makes us think more about protecting vulnerable populations instead of being in this rolling shutdown and series of shutdowns. And, you know, there's there's going to be questions eventually asked about whether this was the way that this shutdown was done. Was this the right move? The serology tests are going to play into that a lot. Um, they're gonna well we have to see what the data says but we need these blood tests to look for antibodies to show that we have immunity we need it asap thanks for listening to the
0: Bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio radio app or wherever you get your podcasts
1: We are all in this together and if it saves just one life anything is justifiable right this is this is what you're hearing more and more as we get deeper into this this COVID-19 crisis uh, Wuhan virus crisis uh, that was a drone flying above the heads of people in Brooklyn and New York City uh, doing exactly what you could hear telling people you got to stay six feet apart and people often, I think, overuse the term Orwellian, you know, a lot of them have never read Orwell and don't know what they're talking about. But um, that's that's pretty Orwellian. You know, that, that's very much out of the playbook of, of Big Brother to have a a flying drone that is telling everybody that they need to maintain a certain distance. And, you know, this is <laughs> this is where I, I get really concerned Um. I get concerned because we're heading toward a turnkey totalitarian state. We are. We have people now in the largest numbers I've ever seen who it's one thing to say, I'm going to give you this. All right, I'm going to give you the keys to the car to get us to the hospital, even though you're an unlicensed driver, but we're in an emergency. It's another thing. To just be like, oh, you demand the keys to the car and, you, you know, I don't know if you have had a few drinks. Sure. Take them as long as you want. Go for Go for a ride. Do whatever you want to do. We're just giving up these rights without even having a discussion about what's going on. There's a story uh, out in Colorado about a man who was in a playground with his daughter and he was arrested in front of her for not adhering to social distancing. I just saw that story break before I came on the air. There are videos out there of people who are paddleboarding out in the ocean by themselves, not just feet, hundreds of yards from another human being. But open up the beaches are closed shut down, shut down, shut down. They're shutting down the parks. They're shutting down the beaches. They're shutting down all these things. And if you ask, you say, hold on a second. I I thought that the rule, the rule that we had all agreed to was social distancing. But now increasingly what's happening is they're just saying, oh, sorry, because not everyone does exactly what we say, we punish everyone. This is the ultimate usurpation. This is the ultimate usurpation of constitutional rights and individual prerogative by the state. This is a big, big problem. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And I understand that people would say, Buck, it's necessary and it's temporary. Maybe it's necessary. Fine. Although I'm more I'm much more willing to have a debate about the specifics of these individual measures. Really, it was necessary to tell everybody no more school. Go home and don't leave your home. Oh, you might be a 16-year-old who has a cough and thinks it's no big deal, but now you're living in close quarters in a you know 600-square-foot apartment with grandma? Yeah, that, that's a that's a brilliant idea that they just one-size-fits-all for all of us here in New York, wasn't it? That's a great idea. Cuomo's even said, I love this, lives, oh, what do you know? you know? The governor who's controlling this is like, yeah, maybe that was a bad idea, but we did it. No, I'm sorry. I want to have a debate. I want to have a discussion about... How long do we see these rights? How long are we told that you're not you're not you're not allowed to go to work? One of the biggest and I, was, I did tweet about this right away, I, the absurdity of it in the opening weeks of the lockdown, we're told uh, we're told, you, you know, you can only go basically for groceries or, or to the pharmacy. OK, I went into a Whole Foods here in New York because, you know, I like my bougie cuts of meat and, you know, my my food. Fish and all that stuff. Right. I like I'm trying to find a way to say this. You know, I I like the fancy Whole Foods stuff sometimes. And I'm in Whole Foods and it is it was it was just packed. It was like a New York City subway car at eight o'clock in the morning heading down to Midtown. And well, okay, this is now a place where not only you bring people together in close quarters, but as Tucker pointed out on his TV show last night, Everyone has to go to the place in the neighborhood. So you're creating a, a one concentrated location where everyone is going and they're going to be in close quarters, you know, that we're told, oh, well, you know, if you run out of avocado and, you, you know, you need to make some guacamole. Meanwhile, if you want to go for a walk in the park and, you know, somebody sees, I keep seeing people sh- showing photos of, you know, oh, there are a hundred people in this park. Okay, are they staying six feet away from each other or are they holding hands and, you know, making out and snuggling? If they're just standing six feet away from each other, what's the problem? But we're turning into because we're scared and we are, we're, we're so scared as a country and a lot of you are like, Buck, I'm not scared. Yeah, good. But if you look around, you'll see fear has just washed over this nation right now. And it's when you're scared that the state has its greatest opportunity to seize more power, to make more demands. And, you know, it's not the it's so interesting to me. We've been told for years that Trump was a dictator. He was even Hitler like he was a fascist. I mean, this is stuff that supposed intellectuals have been spewing for years. This is now a, a perfect scenario. If Trump were the person the left had pretended that he was for the last going on four years, you couldn't foresee a situation more ready-made for a seizure of power and totalitarianism ensuing than what you have right now. And Trump is the one who's saying, let's get back to work, let's give people back their freedoms, let's give people back their rights, we'll take care of people, we're going to try to lower death as much as possible, but you know, we need, we need human beings to have autonomy here. We, we can't do this thing. It's the expert class, it's the administrative state, And yes, it's, you know, state governments that are blue dominated, in particular, some some red states are, are engaging in very similar activity. They're the ones that are saying, oh, you do it our way on this or else. Ah, okay. So the turnkey totalitarianism isn't something that Trump is in any way capitalizing on. He's, in fact, pushing against that. It is the administrative state. It is the, uh, the, the expert class filtering through different uh, states across the union, blue and red states, that are doing what they think that they've been told to do, and they're going to make other people comply. You must comply with this, or else we're going to run out of patience. We're going to run out of patience. Now, there is an ideological divide here between the left and the right, where the left is much more comfortable with, with being... Told what to do by government they still believe in the system in a way that people who are of a conservative mindset just don't i don't think that the government is going to be highly effective i don't think that the government is going to save us all and knows what it's doing and, and until proven otherwise that is how i approach every action the government is taking right I, i've been skeptical that they really understand what they're doing and as soon as it has become clear that this is a a moment in time where we are facing a real crisis. I, I'm not. My sense of the government's ability to handle this is not elevated. I'm even more concerned. What will they do here? I mean, you look at the response after 9/11, and that was a Republican administration, and that was George W. Bush. who I think is a good man, but there look, there were excesses. There were things that didn't need to happen. There were. Uh, there, there was a war that now, if you look back on, the, the war in Iraq is a very, I mean, to call it questionable is charitable. So there are, th- this is a risk, and we know this. Look look to history and see. Government, once it has a taste of certain powers, does not want to give them up. It does not want to give them up. Now you might say, Buck, what about... Uh, What about FDR and World War II and the internment of Japanese Americans, for example? You know, they they stopped doing that after the war. Well, the war was wars are one limited in, in duration. But yes, look, look at the New Deal. Look at FDR and the ramifications of the changes that were implemented during a time of tremendous duress in this country. We're still living with them to this day. In fact, there's a reason why liberals are running around screaming about how they want a new New Deal now because they understand that enlarging the government during a term of crisis is so much easier. People are scared. They don't know what to do. And they want someone or something to keep them safe. And there will be a there's a very easy exchange of liberty that occurs there. And I am troubled to see this happening all across the country where, you know, I, I'm willing to say if the government tells me that I have to stay at home for the next year, let's say, and they just say, sorry, stay home for the year, I'm going to start violating those mandates. I'm not I'm not going to do it for a year. I'm not going to do it for six months, you know, maybe three or four, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, and I'm in New York. I'm facing this stuff everywhere. But there are limits. And they tell us. They tell us, oh, no, don't worry. We know that this can't be forever. But then when you say, OK, because I'm not going to I'm not going to comply forever. Then they then the statists bristle at you a little bit. Then all of a sudden they get a little vicious. What do you mean you're not going to do what we say? Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, there are risks in life, right? There are things that people are allowed to determine for themselves. And that the state does not the state does not get to say that you do not get to live a normal life indefinitely because they think, according to some experts that they've talked to, uh, this is going to be better for all of us. They can say it for a month. They can say it for a few months, maybe. You know, They can claim that this is an emergency power. But we need to have in place that, that part of our own mind, that part of our own psychology that says, all right, but you're not. This isn't just limited government because you say it will be. It's limited because we, the people, are telling you it will be. And we're, we're going to run into this. This is not just going to be theoretical, because what's going to happen is we're going to get these cases down. The country is going to be really sick and tired of this. We're going to have more and more data, serological testing. We're going to know more about the truth of how widespread this virus is and, you know, how well it can be treated and what the real mortality is. And you're going to have an enormous conflict between those who want to say all right let's go let's get back to some degree of normalcy and those who say no you're going to stay in shutdown you're going to do what we say or else because we're smarter and we know better that's really at the heart of the left of modern liberalism of progressivism you do what we say because we're smarter than you and that's one of the reasons why they're rewriting the history of how this pandemic has already occurred because nobody knew what to do about this in the early stages. Nobody was properly prepared in this country or any country for that matter. But now, in order to maintain that ability to dictate whether you can go for a walk with your kids, whether you know you can go out to a park or get some fresh air or go for a jog or all these different things, that doctors will tell us individually we can do. That's OK. The doctors will say, OK, but then the state will say, sorry, some people violate it. Shut it down. Um, it's not it's just. It's just not going to fly forever. And when I say forever, it's not going to fly for all that much longer. And people can get very mad when they hear that. They can say, oh, well, what about this? And, oh, you know, you're, you're not taking, no, taking this very seriously, very seriously. We're, we're not shutting down our civilization in America indefinitely for any reason. Right. But everyone concedes that. But then when you try to push them a little bit for, OK, what does that mean? There are some forces in this country who they're getting this they're getting this taste of absolute power, absolute power from the government. They can tell you whatever they can print money and give it to whomever they want. They can tell you to stay in your home. Who gets to work? Who doesn't? Who gets, you know, resources from the government? Who doesn't? Anything, any liberty that you think you have, they can take away from you. There are people for whom that that is very those powers are very appealing. And they will not easily or quickly hand them back unless we watch them and hold them accountable for this. We have to remember that. And I want to hear much more of of that side of this debate going forward. Much more of the all right, we're making these concessions, but this is not a blank check. This is the government, even in this crisis, does not have a blank check, not just against the economy, but a blank check against our liberties. They cannot just draw on these things endlessly without us pushing back.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Okay, people, just because Jesus is on
3: your side doesn't mean you can't get sick. Don't forget, Jesus was on Jesus' side, and he died, okay? Yeah, he came back, but that was like a one-time thing. I think it's like Mario Brothers lives. Maybe he's got two left. And you know, it's funny how a lot of these same people who say Jesus will protect them from coronavirus are the same people stocking up on guns. I don't get it. Huh? Won't the blood of Jesus protect you from an intruder? Nah, I'm going with buckshot for this one. He needs Jesus more than me. And look, whether you want to believe in coronavirus or not, it is real. And today, the United States passed the 10,000 coronavirus deaths.
1: He's not funny. That's Trevor Noah who took over for John, uh, John Stewart, who, while a propagandist was at least clever, Trevor Noah is not even clever. But he's also telling you this is what the left thinks about the rest of the country. This is what the blue coastal elites, the, the urban elites across America really do think of everybody who does not fit into their their worldview, which is uh, that, you know, there are a bunch of Bible thumpers who there's all, all these these claims. They're stupid. They're slanderous. Uh, and, and it's important that we remember unfortunately that there really isn't this coming together that you see all these journalists who are writing about how red states are going to have far higher death rates because people don't believe in this virus that's, that's idiocy people of course know this virus is real just like when they said Trump said it was a hoax that was all a lie but they don't care and now we see the blue states are getting hit by far the worst I'm in the bluest of blue places here in New York City and we're getting crushed by this virus they don't change any of their analysis about any of this And they're not able to overcome their their stupid partisan nonsense. They're not able to just put that aside and see us all as people in a very difficult situation that need to come together and help each other out as Americans. We keep being told that this is like a war and yet we've been invaded. We know who the enemy is. And yet there are a lot there are a lot of leftists who view the real enemy as anyone on the right who does not who does not submit does not obey, does not say, sorry, we were wrong about Trump all all along and we'll do anything you say because you're the smart ones who know what to do now. Really? Uh, I think the the evidence certainly goes in the other direction recently. But, you know, yes, rooting for catastrophe against America for four years, which is what the left has been doing. Finally, we have had a catastrophe befall us. But they've been saying it's going to there's this is the 20th thing that's come up that was going to be, you know, war with North Korea, war with Iran and all stock market crash when Trump gets elected. And now finally there's a catastrophe and they're acting like they were were this was uh foreseen by them. No, they just were hoping for catastrophe and now here is a catastrophe and they're exploiting it. Okay. Thanks for
0: listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Right. I did my work and I and I spoke to times up and I just don't feel comfortable throwing away a decent man that I've known for fifteen years. Yep. Yeah. Um in this in this time of complete chaos without there being um a thorough investigation. Yeah. I'm sure that um mainstream media would be jumping all over this um as well if if, you know, If
3: they weren't in a pandemic. uh, Oh, or if there was more, if there was more credible,
1: if there was evidence that was
4: if they found more evidence or or through their investigate. So I'm just kind of staying quiet about it.
1: What a surprise, folks. That is Alyssa Milano, who is a become a political. She's really a third tier actress. who's become now a political activist. Uh, We end up talking about her in the realm of politics. And I did have the. uh, (laughs) <laughs> the misfortune of interviewing her once and she didn't realize who I was so we sat down and I started asking her questions that were, that were real journalism questions she didn't have any good answers to about guns and, uh, and her chihuahua tried to pee on my foot don't worry Tallulah she was not nearly as civilized and beautiful a canine as you are uh, but the chihuahua did like right during the interview try to relieve itself on me it was pretty funny uh, it, was a dec- it was a decrepit little chihuahua but and I like chihuahuas. Don't uh, to the chihuahua owners out there. I'm not. I just this was clearly a lib chihuahua. You know, this was a chihuahua that had like a Bernie Sanders sticker on its food bowl and was all about you know canine Medicare for all. So anyway, uh, I I've had the misfortune, of, and she complained, which I thought was the, the most hilarious and classless thing ever. And even the liberals. This is when I worked at the Hill. Even the liberals that were at the Hill, of whom there are there are plenty. Uh, said that it was an entirely they had the whole tape. I mean, we aired basically all the interview. I don't think we really even edited it, but they said it was an entirely fair and respectful interview. She she called to try to get me in trouble. Her publicist called the hill to try to, you know, have some sanctions taken against me, get me suspended or something. I didn't do anything. I just asked her questions. She's a moron and a, and a gross person who is desperate for attention. So there you have it. Um, but she's also somebody completely lacking in principle, as we see here. Now, why is she well known now? she is well known because she attached herself to the me too movement as far as i understand never talked about her own me too story um, but she is somebody who is prominently associated with me too makes a lot of noise about it has a big following and was ve- oh and, and sat in the uh, in the hearings against Kavanaugh you know sat very prominently displayed behind him made sure that she was seen on camera there you know to make sure that 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 Kavanaugh faced justice for uh, what they said he did, which he did nothing. Kavanaugh is innocent. And if there's any if we have any belief in evidence uh, and rationality, uh, Kavanaugh is not he's it's not that Kavanaugh not guilty. Kavanaugh is innocent. I mean, I'm as I'm as sure of that as we can be based on anything for which we only have evidence, not, you know, not uh, not firsthand experience. Um, so what was Alyssa Milano talking about there, though? Because you won't hear this because I don't think CBS or NBC or ABC, I don't think any of them have touched this. And I give my colleagues at the uh, at the my former colleagues at the Hill, Crystal Ball and Sagar and Jetty, both of whom I'm very fond of. I give them credit for trying to raise this story and get some real attention for it. Uh, Tara Reid worked for Senator Biden in the 1990s, and she claims that he sexually assaulted her in 1993 based on the specifics of the allegation uh, there was pardon me. And if you have you know kids listening, I'll give you like a 10 second here to either turn the volume down for a second. But it's important to the to show you the degree of the allegation uh, that there that there was forceful penetration that occurred, which depending on the jurisdiction you're in, there's you know, that's either uh, a, a certain degree of sexual assault. But some sometimes that will be classified as uh, rape, even, you know, this was essentially the allegation is of digital penetration. And so that's a very that's that's a very, very serious crime. Um, and she has raised this on the record. She's given it. She worked on Biden's staff. So we know that he knows who she is. We know that they had contact as adults. We know that they were probably in the office alone together a whole bunch of times or, you know, in offices near each other when there weren't other folks around. And yet you don't hear this Uh, ABC, at least as of last week, ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, CNN haven't said a single word about this. Now, we were told during the Kavanaugh saga, which was the the uh, although it might be overtaken by what we see coming up here with this fight over Trump's role, Trump's blood on his hands from this disease, you know, from handling this disease, uh, the ugliest political thing I've ever seen was the 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 ritual humiliation of lies and personal destruction that liberals put Kavanaugh through because they're so desperate to maintain control of the Supreme Court. And ultimately, I think they realize that they need to forestall as long as possible a reckoning with Roe v. Wade um, because the Supreme Court, unfortunately and wrongly, gave them. A declaration that Roe was the law of the land when no no honest person could ever think that that was really the case. Uh, But they need to protect that because that would that would be the erosion, the destruction, really, of the uh, liberal, the, the supposed liberal moral high ground of caring about people and caring about the downtrodden. They don't care about the unborn very much, do they? They don't care about babies in the womb. We know that all they care about is that they can be uh, eliminated for convenience sake. Isn't it so interesting that they uh, that some of the most prominent voices against any balancing of risk dealing with this pandemic are all come from the left and they say, you know, we will defend every life with everything we have. And how dare anyone think of the convenience of the economy as any kind yeah. of counterbalance against this? And then they'll turn around and say, we have a woman doesn't want to have a baby and she can kill the baby. And then this is this is commonplace. This is standard on the left. In fact, this is doctrine on the left. They don't they don't hide from this. They don't avoid this. This is the truth. So, you know, murdering babies by the millions. That's and, and that's an active process. That's not someone accidentally is in the room with someone and coughs and they don't know. And then they get that person sick. And, you know, that's that's. Life as it has always been for human beings, for our species, people get sick. Right, we're just trying to keep too many people from getting sick and too many people from having this particular disease. But uh, you know, abortion is a new thing for our species, and it's one that is an active process of eliminating lives of killing living human beings. So uh, they were willing to do anything to take down Kavanaugh, as we know. And you were hearing things that were were. True and pure, in when I say true, I mean they were distilled propaganda, the most absolute kinds of propaganda you can imagine. Phrases that not only uh, weren't true under the circumstances, but that make no sense unless you're trying to brainwash people. All women have a right to be believed, women have a right to be believed. This is what they were claiming. This was only two years ago. Women have a right to be believed. So does that mean that women don't lie? Because we know that men and women do lie. Human beings lie and they level false accusations. And this is just a, a matter of fact. And, and you can sit around and think to yourself of very prominent cases of women claiming sexual assault when then finally the evidence came out, they were lying. The Duke Lacrosse case, a prominent example, the UVA fraternity rape. I mean, th- these are national level stories of, of, of women who lied about, about being raped. So Now, I know that there are far more cases of rape that aren't reported. And I understand all the horrific statistics about how common sexual assault is and all this. But remember the standard they set. Women have a right to be believed. It wasn't that women have a right to have their case heard and should be taken seriously. And anyone who has ever assaulted a woman should should face the severest legal consequences possible. That that's I know that's absolutely just. That's the way we should be. This should be uh, severely punished and we should seek justice for survivors. That was not what they were saying, though. That was not the claim. The claim was women should be believed, period. So if a woman makes an allegation, it's true. And now I always rejected that because I said, no, it's based. We have to through a legal proceeding, you have to base this on evidence and, and people. We have a system in place to adjudicate these things. They said, oh, you're just covering up for the sexual assaults of Kavanaugh. Oh, and, and in that case, we, we know beyond a reasonable doubt that the third woman, Julie Swetnick, who came out against Kavanaugh, was a, was a liar. Not that she was confused. She was a liar. I mean, she was a deranged person. She was lying. The second person who came forward was almost certainly lying. And the first person, I think, was confused and exaggerating because she was trying to save Roe v. Wade. And that's become pretty clear. Right. So. We, we not, not only are do you have to Can you look at other cases to find out that there have been lies I was, Oh, but OK. I, 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 the real issue here is that they were saying that women have a right to be believed. And now and, and, and Alyssa Milano was a was a big proponent of this. Millions of Twitter followers running around on TV, giving radio interviews. Yes. You know, we have to believe women and believe women and me, too. And all this stuff, all the all this Uh, And remember that they use real cases. And Ronan Farrow was a part of this. And I will never let that I will never let that kid get away with this. He did some good work, good work on on Harvey Weinstein. Right. He and how much of that was handed to him by people that knew about this. And there's a whole other, you know, that, that wanted to take Weinstein down. I mean, but he did good journalism. There's no question about it on some of these cases. But then he used all the clout that he had gathered together to go after Kavanaugh and wrote that absurd hit piece using Deborah Ramirez, the second accuser against Kavanaugh, who, yeah, she was so traumatized by the thing that she thinks maybe happened that she wasn't sure if the thing even really happened, and everybody who knew her was like, no, that didn't happen. Yeah, that one. And and they left out. And there was journalistic malpractice there, but they were, they were taking an, a whatever-it-takes approach. Whatever it takes to destroy Kavanaugh was inherently acceptable. Whatever it takes to ruin him, they were fine with Now it's Joe Biden. Joe Biden has been accused on the record by a woman who worked for him in the 90s of forcible penetration of rape. That is the accusation. How is it possible that you have not seen this getting covered by every major media outlet? Ah, because Alyssa Milano, she's given it all away, hasn't she? Well, no, now we need more evidence. Now we need to know the full facts. Now we need a presumption of innocence. It's almost like if you were creating a an experiment to see how dishonest the left really was with their usage of Me Too against Kavanaugh and how clearly politicized this becomes, this is it. We're running the experiment right now. Oh, and they said that Trump, you know, Trump, uh, you know, sexually assaulted women. And, And I kept hearing all these stories and then I'd say, well, where, what, who, who says that they were sexually assaulted by Trump? And then it's, oh, well, he grabbed me and and kissed me at a party or something a long time ago. And I'm saying, okay, well, is that, can can you prove any of this? Or is this, that's a very easy thing to, to throw out there. And also, the law makes distinctions. I know we're not supposed to, you know, if they, they try to get you on technicalities here, make you seem like you're a monster. But the law does make distinctions between, you know, grabbing someone and kissing them is different from sexual penetration of them in in other parts of the body. The law makes that distinction. So let's not pretend like that's not, a real thing, because this is where you get the, oh, you know, Trump says, you know, the, that women will just let you kiss them, let you being a very important word there, let you grab them, let you being a very important component in all this process. But we heard all this. And, and if you didn't believe that Trump, who is a is a billionaire playboy and has been for decades, um, if you didn't believe it's that for some reason, he was also a, a pre, he was a predator instead of somebody who clearly likes the company of very beautiful women. Um, and maybe a little too much, but, you know, I, I don't judge. Uh, now we're told that Joe Biden did this and there's just silence on it. And there's all this backtracking and we need evidence and we need because it was never it was always it was always a fraud. What they were doing to Kavanaugh, it was always a lie. And they knew it and they justified it in their heads. And there was no principle involved. And I look, I give I think it's uh, Rose McGowan, who was another prominent and she was. Uh, she was somebody who has come forward and and talked about her own Me Too situation. I'm trying, yep, here it is. She tweeted at at Alyssa Milano, the following her, her sister in the Me Too movement, if you will. This just came out this morning. Rose McGowan, quote, you are a fraud. This is about holding the media accountable. You go after Trump and Kavanaugh saying believe victims. You are a lie. You have always been a lie. The corrupt DNC is a smear job of Tara Reid. So are you. Shame. Ah. Well, Rose McGowan, it seems, is willing to assert principle. Rose McGowan is willing to hold people to the same standards. Good for her. But it's one of these moments where we should take a step back and just remember, I was saying this to you all along. that This would be weaponized, not just against Kavanaugh, but against other people that believe all women was something they were only saying insofar as it was useful for destroying Republicans. I was right. You were right. They were wrong. They lied about this. The liberal media lied about how Me Too would be judged going forward. They lied about the lack of politics in this. They're a bunch of frauds and phonies, and they are disgraceful on this issue. Disgraceful. Alyssa Milano at the top of the list. I think she's such good friends with Joe Biden. Oh, my God. Gross.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
1: Every day at seven o'clock, there is this round of applause and cheers and shouts all across New York. I think they're doing it in other cities, perhaps, too. But I know that I hear it every night in New York. And it, it's it is comforting. It is encouraging. It's heartening. Um, and there's also a lot of praise out there on social media for people who are uh, frontline logistics personnel, if you will. You know, our, our doctors and nurses, they're the they're frontline warriors against the virus. And we've got people who are delivering food, you know, working in the stores, working at Walmart, working in grocery stores and pharmacies. You know, there there are logistics and supply chain for this war effort, and we need them. And there's a renewed appreciation for them. I'm, I'm concerned that I see here there are, uh, you know, there are some issues, and I've I've had people write in about this too, with not letting grocery workers cover their mouths, cover the, you know, and wear gloves, take those basic precautions. I can't imagine why any store and I really mean that I can't think of why any store wouldn't allow them to take those measures to protect themselves. And now we're seeing that there are some grocery workers who have died from coronavirus. There are concerns about how much exposure these people are going through in this process. Are they going to get paid sick leave. If they continue to show up for work and they get sick with this, are they going to get raises in pay? Uh, I I think they should get a raise in pay. Uh, You know, I, I'm a believer in doing everything we can to show our appreciation. I mean, one thing I, you know, I order in food and unfortunately I'm probably gaining about a, you know, pound or two a week right now at least. Uh, But I'm ordering in food as I can and put some money into, into restaurants that are still delivering and I'm giving the biggest tips I've ever given to people who are delivering food cuz I want to help them out and show a little appreciation. I I know it's a small gesture and I'm not like, oh, look at me, pat me on the back, who, you know, who gives a you know what? We're all doing well what, what we can as best as we can. And we all have different ways of trying to help out. I I'm, I'm just merely saying financial appreciation for those who are doing this seems to be well-merited. And uh I, I would like to see better protective measures for those because if we start having people If we start having grocery stores that can't open their doors just because people won't work uh, the checkout lanes. We got big problems Uh, once the food supply comes into question, then you then things deteriorate very or not even food supply access to food. Once people's access to food comes into question, then things get very scary very quickly. So we got to do what is necessary here to make sure that the stores, these stores stay open. And, you know, there is an epidemiological risk to going to these stores as well as working in them. And I don't think that, you know, no one seems to have an answer for this. And I think they're just saying, well, I I guess we got to keep those open. Well, okay, if we're keeping those open, that might be a, a big risk. What about risks in other places? We'll have to deal with that tomorrow.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple
1: podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. NBC News will report that while the U.S. has a whole lot of casualties in the last 24 hours from coronavirus, uh, China has none. I, I don't know what it's going to take for our media to stop spreading CCP propaganda and, and really viewing themselves as... Um, the propaganda arm of Beijing, even at the expense of, of the truth in, in this country while we're going through this. But it's very annoying. Um, our media just continues to cover itself in a lot of a lot of disgrace during all of this. Uh, I find it very, very frustrating. So I'll talk more about uh, China and what's going on there tomorrow. I'll try to check in. That's We're going to have some re- recurring themes here, recurring storylines. And certainly China's not just role in this, but propaganda efforts are going to be another um, another part of what we're dealing with and what we're looking at dealing with uh, going forward. Paul, roll call, by the way. Oh, and uh, please do, if you have not already, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We have it up on Facebook, on uh, on Twitter. We're sharing links to it. So just go to Facebook.com slash sex You'll see we've got a YouTube page. Please subscribe. You can watch the Pluto TV show that we're doing on that YouTube channel. So if you prefer the YouTube version, you can do that. And uh, also tell people about the Buck Sexton show right now. It's a great time to get new podcast listeners in particular. Uh, we love all of our 160 affiliates across the country, but we really also appreciate uh, podcast growth where we can get it. So if someone's home and you're like and they're like, look, I can't handle the depressing, endless drumbeat of, of despair from the news media and how Trump is horrible and he destroyed everything. Tell them, hey, listen to the Buck Sexton show. You'll get all the information you need, but without all the left wing insanity. And, you know, you can listen to it on. We're on Spotify, aren't we, producer Mark? Yes, we're everywhere. Yeah, Spotify. That's an easy. Uh, Spotify is a really easy. For those of you who are Spotify users, which I've become a pretty avid one, it's a really easy way to listen to podcasts. You can also listen on, uh, on iTunes. I don't think the, you know, the, the Apple store, Apple podcast uh, interface, I feel, is not. I think Spotify is easier. And iHeartRadio is just fantastic, too. And iHeartRadio, the company we work for, has a wonderful app that you can listen to the Buck Sexton Show industry on industry-leading app, obviously, Buck. Industry-leading and a lot of things you can listen to on there, a lot of stations, as long as you listen to the Buck Sexton Show, listen to anything else you want as well. And that app is free. All right, Paul. Hello, Buck. Hello, Paul. Hope you're doing well. I thought about Made in USA I never hear anybody talking about overtaxation and overregulation of businesses in the US. No one moves a business to China because regulation and taxes are light in the US. We want made in the USA, but no one wants to cut regulation or taxes. And here we sit with this terrible virus while our stuff is being made in China. In the long run, I don't think Americans will pay $20 for a pair of ankle socks and $10 for a pair of tidy whities. Maybe they will for a year or two, but after after we come out from under Corona lockdown. Well, Paul, um, I I think we're going to we're going to see who's right here. I I believe that there's a greater a greater willingness to spend on American things, especially if we are clear about why we're doing that. You know, made in America, I do think will become a rallying cry in this country again. And I think that because of the end of the Soviet Union in particular, we've seen, okay, well, we're the dominant power and. We can get stuff from wherever and it doesn't matter. No, China. China is trying to replace America as the global hegemon. We know this. This is clear. This is obvious. And we need for national security as well as economic reasons to bring some of the production that has been offshored and some of the some of the influences of globalization. We need to turn those around here. Uh, We need to turn those around. And I don't know, $10 for a pair of Tidy whiteys, Producer Mark, isn't that what Tidy
5: whiteys cost? Uh, I do not personally wear those, but I think underpants in general, they're more
1: expensive than you think. Yeah, a good pair of boxers is, is oh. kind of pricey, actually. Like a six-pack of Hanes the... is like
5: $30.
1: Yeah, it's not that cheap. Yeah. So uh, I think people are, you know, $20 for a pair of ankle socks, that may be a little high, but you know, I'm a big fan of these, uh, of the smart wool socks. Once you, they're expensive. I'm not going to lie, you're talking about $20 socks. The you're smart a wool socks person. Are expensive. I'm a bougie person. Yeah. No, no. Accurate. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I think that the smart wool socks are a great investment for anybody who can or just get getting that kind of uh, those synthetic fibers that keep your that breathe better, but keep your feet uh, warmer and actually can keep them cooler, too, depending on which kind of sock you get. Socks are important. You know, two things that I find are a real upgrade for yourself that you don't really often think about. But once you do them, you're like, wow, I, actually, there are three of them ready for these producer, Mark. These are actually things is. that people can do while they're in quarantine. I think they'll be happy if they listen to me. Uh, that don't involve doing 100 push ups a day, which any day now I'm going to start doing my 100 push up a day challenge, but any day now. Uh, replace your towels, replace your socks, replace your pillowcases. These are things that people hold on to for far, far too long. These are all. You'll get, you don't even think, you're like, oh, my towels are fine. Where well, my towels are fine. No, no, no. Get yourself some new towels, all right? Get yourself some new socks, whatever socks you have, get new pairs of it. And also, your your pillowcase, you don't realize how much oil and sweat and whatever, you know, those things over time, they just get a little, they get a little ratty. They get a little run down. What do you think, Producer Mark?
5: Well, I recently started using new pillowcases and new towels since we moved, so... See? Oh, Aren't they nice? They are great. Uh, Our new towel. You put a you have a new towel. You uh, wipe your face My expensive. wife Ooh. registered like cuz we got them from the wedding or the shower or whatever and these towels are like luxurious. It's like I'm in a
1: five-star resort and they're heavy. There you go. That's yeah. what you want. No, investing in nice towels is a you know, it's a it's a really good move and there's a lot of great inexpensive towels on I mean, you go on you go on Amazon and you can find really good uh Uh, You can find really good towels. And if the reviews, if there's enough high level customer or if there's enough uh, positive customer reviews, you're in really good shape. But the difference between a new plush towel and like an old kind of little torn ratty towel that you use is it's sort of like the difference between, you know, really nice, thick, cushy toilet paper versus using that like eco friendly sandpaper on your bum, which it's never worth it. It's never worth it.
5: I've been using flushable wipes, Buck. Game changer.
1: I knew you told me this. Yeah, I finally right. got some. Like
5: they were finally in stock on Amazon, so I bought more. Oh, there Fantastic. you go. Fantastic.
1: Yeah, no, I've, I've I've heard people are fans. sorry, we talk personal hygiene here on the show too. Don't worry, we do that. Um, all right, Brandy. Brandy writes, Buck. I'm worried about the direction of this country. Well, that makes two of us, Brandy. It's one thing to shut down voluntarily in order to get a grip on such a contagious virus, but now this is starting to feel like George Orwell's 1984 even down to the loudspeaker in the grocery store. Moreover, to see and read posts asking if the government offered to pay Americans to report people gathering in groups of more than 10, would they do it and for how much? Even scarier to see how many people said they would do it for free. And yeah, Brandy, I don't like uh, America should not turn into a nation of tattletales. Um, you know, it's one thing if someone's doing something that's really reckless or putting people at risk. But I'm sorry, uh, one guy in a a playground with his young daughter on the slide. You know, that's not a social distancing violation that needs to be reported to the authorities. And you're seeing a lot more of this. People are reporting others. And and I I feel like some of it is also envy. You know, there's that, uh, you know, envy that someone else is enjoying themselves or someone else is getting some sun. There's that story or that old line uh, that a a Puritan is someone who lives with the constant. And I'm paraphrasing, but Someone lives with the constant fear that someone somewhere is having a good time. Uh, There are this this snitch attitude, and the the governor, I mean, not the governor, the mayor of Los Angeles, Garcetti, has said now that they're going to reward people. They're going to give you money. The city of Los Angeles will give you a reward for snitching on people who aren't doing enough uh, social distancing. Look for the people that are still holding funerals here in New York with you know four hundred people at them, all very close together. Yeah, that's 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 violating the spirit of what we're trying to do right now um so i understand why that's upsetting but you know one person in one place who is maybe a little too close to a friend or a family member you know uh, everyone needs everyone needs to just ease up a little bit on the on the hall monitor stuff it's, it's not necessary and see, here's Brandy saying exactly what I was talking about before. This is turning into a very, it is, it is truly Orwellian. I mean, you have speakers everywhere telling you, social distance, six feet apart. Repeat, social distance, six feet apart. Uh, okay, there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot, of, uh, a lot more of this. David, hey, Buck, I watched the Daily Press Conference. I think Trump does a great job softening up the media for his experts. Today, especially, he left the journalist looking completely dejected And I think that's part of his strategy. Oh, can we play, uh, producer Mark, can we play the clip where he's yelling at uh, Jonathan Carl?
2: Has that person been in government? Right. Uh, it, did serve in the previous administration.
1: Oh, you didn't tell me that. Oh, I see.
2: You didn't tell me that, John. You didn't tell me that. did serve in the previous administration. You mean the Obama administration. Thank you for telling me that. See, there's a typical well, fake to news deal. You asked me when look, she was appointed. Look. I told you when she was appointed. You're a third race reporter. And what you just said is a disgrace, okay? You asked me, you said, sir, just got appointed. Take a look at what you said. Now I said, when did they, when did this person, how long in government? Well, it was appointed in the Obama administration. Thank you very much, John. Thank you very much. You will never make it. Go ahead.
1: Trump slaps down the media sometimes. Sometimes the media is asking for it. He's also, look, the guy's tired. He's in a bad mood. He's trying to keep the country from falling apart. He's looking at, you know, really tough numbers and the death toll every day. And this is, this is challenging stuff. So yeah, Trump's going to lose his cool sometimes a little bit. He's going to tell people what he really thinks. I, I think that's what we signed up for when we voted for this guy. So I am. I, it's not surprising to me and I don't, I don't have a problem with it. But, you know, some people, they get all whew, they get also upset. Um, David writes, I would also like to see you and producer Mark set up a mock press conference where you play sound bites of the stupid questions these journalists ask and reply with your Hillary impersonation. We are so fortunate she's not in office right now. It's something people aren't mentioning. Keep up the great work. David thank you I like the idea um, these days we're pretty uh, pretty stacked with work and things we got to do so I, I can't say that it's it's very likely that we're going to be doing a lot of of new segments that require a lot of new uh, new work but Thank you for the idea. Maybe we'll get to it at some point in the future. I don't know, Producer Mark, you can always tell people, "Yeah, sure, give me more work, guys." I love that. We'll, we'll leave that to you. Oh,
5: yeah, I love extra work. I don't have enough of it, you
1: know. Yeah. yeah I yeah. really need things to do. So There you go, everybody. Yep. He he likes his 14-hour work day work day, Producer Mark. Just be like, "What about the other 10 hours, Producer Mark?" Yeah. That's what we should ask him.
5: I, I wish you would do uh, some more podcasts. Yeah. Just so I had more work
1: to do. There we go. Hmm. He's told you, folks, right into him, producer Mark. He's asking for it.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck
1: Sexton Show podcast. All right, roll call continues with Dale. Buck, I know you're going through some troublesome times. We all are, but I know that in New York City, things are certainly more dire. The frustration in your voice is evident. I look forward to being able to get back to some sense of normalcy soon, if possible. I still listen every day for your common sense insights as we navigate these uncharted waters. I also am praying for you every day, for your family, for producer Mark, all the people of NYC and all the, all the people of this nation and the world. It pains me to no end to see these shots of empty streets in, in New York City, a city I fell in love with in no small part due to your guidance, our first trip there two years ago. Well, I, thank you so much, Dale. Uh, through all of this, I'm encouraged we're Americans and there is something inherent about being an American that makes us resilient and steadfast and even in this divisive time, I know in the back of my mind we'll all come through this stronger and more determined than before. Thank you for what you do. Be encouraged. Shields high. Well, Dale, that's really helpful. And I'm glad, yeah, I've, I've, a lot of people have written me in the past they their first-time visitors to New York, people on Team Buck, will say, hey, can you give me a list of stuff to, stuff to see and places to go eat? And I'm always happy to do it. You know, I send them a note if, I mean, I, I do what I can. So I'm really, I'm really happy to hear that uh, someone really uh, benefited from my, my New York City visiting advice. And yeah, we're, we're going through a tough time here. I always remember, I don't know if the person's listening, but it was years ago, maybe now it was five or six years ago that I was on a first date. And I was with a very, a, a young woman who was a, uh, she was a former, I think she had, she had formerly worked at a top investment bank and was now at a, some hotshot, um, uh, some hotshot tech startup and had been a runway model so yeah and uh, i was on the street with her and and it was not that it was during the day actually we had a a, a lunch date for a first date which i think is can work out but usually and someone and i just she was talking about how amazing she was the whole time and i was like oh god i don't think this is gonna work and someone from team buck a husband and wife who were visiting new york just happened to walk past and they made a big deal and they gave me big hugs buck it was i gotta say that was great I wish I could have the team pair drop in anytime like that when I need them. You know, that was amazing. That was the one that was the one time I can remember in New York that really worked out in my favor like that. That was fun. So thank you, team. Uh, unfortunately, that was the only date that went on with this particular person. But nonetheless, it made it more fun that I got to be like, yeah, that's right. The team is everywhere, even here in New York City. Steven, hey, Buck, want a preview of how Biden would handle this pandemic? Take a look at how the Washington governors handled this And dumb it down by two. I don't disagree with what he was trying to do, but his snap unconstitutional execution has been terrible. We'll be working with the polls thus uh, this A.M. Regardless, shields high. Oh, that's right, isn't? uh, And Wisconsin is uh, they're they're having people vote today. No one's even really they got a primary going, right? Isn't that going on today, Mark? Yes, I I believe it is an in-person primary today. Yes, yeah, in-person primary. They want people to go out and vote. Uh, I'm going to tell you this, if, if I'm being told that I don't get to go get like fresh steak and milk and stuff that I need, or if I it, only once a week, I don't think I'm going out to vote. Not for a not for a primary. I mean, what are you going to what are you going to do? What are you going to cast your vote for right now? It's going to be Biden. All right. Go, you know, Democrats, go vote. Fine. Do your thing. Will writes, the freight market has officially collapsed. I'm seeing rates as low as 50 cents per mile for full loads. That doesn't even cover fuel and repairs. Truckers are starting to park their rigs and good for them. Those that carry this freight will be out of business in two weeks. Uh, Will, I hadn't heard that yet, but if you're if you're a trucker and you're telling me that's going on, that's very, very concerning. Look, the economic consequences of the shutdown aren't something you feel as much right away it grows and gets worse with every passing day, right? We need to remember that. People say, oh, the shutdown is not that bad for the economy. Really? It's going to get worse every day. Every day it gets worse. More people can't pay their bills, more people out of work, more people out of jobs, more stress on the overall economy. So I wish I had something happier to share at this point on that. But uh, we'll, we'll talk more about where the economic indicators are tomorrow. We'll also talk more about China uh team please pass the buck tell people to check out this show if they haven't before i'm sure you're in a lot of electronic communication with folks you're not seeing them face to face as much send them a link to the show that will really help us out continue to help the show grow i'll be back here tomorrow from the freedom hut in nyc shields high